You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about leadership, a topic that is constantly evolving, even more so with the way the business world's been changing the past two years with the pandemic and all of the changes to remote versus in-person versus cultural impacts. To help us, we have with us Brandon Wilson, Chairman, President, and CEO of Wilbron Incorporated, author of Sabotage, Leadership That Overcomes Betrayal, Theft, and Deceit, and frequent contributor to CNN, BET, and Today Show, to name a few. Brandon, thank you for taking time and welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Chad. It's an honor to be here. So we always like to ask kind of an off the wall question just to get the audience to know you a little bit better. And I'm always curious to know, you know, we spend so much time working and and building these work personas. I'm curious to know something you're passionate about that those that only know you through work or maybe only know you through your book may be surprised to learn about. Getting personal early. <laughs> we like to you go know, deep just right out of the gate. <laughs> right out. You know, that's the, that's the first way to, to build a relationship is to go ahead and go deep early so you can apologize <laughs> later. But the thing that I think that people who only know me through business might be surprised to know about me is, is I am a lover of music. I am passionate about music. All kinds. I mean, from the standards with Tony Bennett to jazz of Gregory Porter to classic R&B with the SOS band and anything Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just love music so much so that to double down on that, let's get personal. One of the things I most enjoy is after work or Whenever I break away from familial obligations and I'm just driving just to go shopping or to go do something passionate, like a hobby or whatever, go go play golf or what have you, Uh, on my way to that that destination, I often find a cool instrumental on the radio and uh, and start rapping. (laughs) Ah, nice. (laughs) Very cool. Very, very cool. And is this something you've done like all your life or something you came all into later? Is the music has it been all there all life. the time? All, all right. my life. I, I, I used to be that guy as a kid, like in these ciphers, like you see on TV, just yeah. freestyling away. Uh, I've lost some of the skills uh, as I as I've gotten older, but but it is a it's a passion of mine. And 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 what's interesting about it is not just rapping for rapping's sake. It has become for me a communications exercise. It provides me with an opportunity to, within a measure, to formulate what the next thoughts need to be and to organize them in a a way that fits the cadence. And it's become a really, it becomes a really fun game for me that really helps me to become a more uh, more effective communicator uh, as a leader. I love it. I love it. And it's a great segue. I mean, as a recognized communication and, and executive consultant, there's no doubt a story of how your passion for all things leadership developed. So I was kind of hoping you'd share that with the audience. Well, let me first say to dovetail off that last thought is, is so if you want to become a better communicator, listeners, 
Start freestyling. <laughs> That's the key takeaway that everybody from the podcast is now going to do. Start rapping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but but it, 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 with great sincerity, you know, I care about I care about your audience, and and so I want to spend this time giving your audience substantive things that. I've gathered along the way to becoming a more effective leader and uh, business owner and communicator and executive consultant. And to answer your question, you know, my, my journey began with great mentors. I grew up with a lot of ambitions, a lot of desires, but never had access to the kind of resources I knew that I know exist today. And that changed when I uh, went to college. I had a chance to work in student affairs and work very closely as a student, as a student, and work very closely with the president, the late William Walker at Auburn University, Dr. William Walker. I learned a lot about some of the challenges that a CEO at that level faced. I would graduate and then I would work for a, a very powerful civil rights organization. Their founder was still there. He founded the organization then some 30 odd years ago. And so I had a chance to really sort of dive deeply and richly into his experiences in starting that organization. We traveled a lot with one another. And I remember one day he told me, he said, Brandon, you got everything it, it takes to be an incredible business leader and you should start your, your own business. And I walked away never feeling more flattered for being fired. <laughs> <laughs> I said, man, if you want to fire me, just tell me to leave and flatter me out the door. Uh, but he was serious. Uh, he kept bringing it up to me. And this, this, this statement changed my thinking about entrepreneurship. It also changed my thinking about leadership. He said, let me tell you why I started this civil rights organization. And he told me the story of, of, uh, of his passion for building something that would shape the world for the people he loved. And he said, oh, Brandon, like if, you, if you say you won't, don't want to be a businessman, you don't like entrepreneurship, at least do it because you, the people you love deserve an engine for good. And I, I never forgot it. I, I immediately, I think the next day, went and registered an LLC called Wilburon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and it was founded as a higher education think tank. And the work that I was doing then was providing consultancy to college presidents all across the country. So when they called this civil rights attorney, he would send the college presidents would call them. He would send them my way. And it, and I, it provided me with a chance to gain even more mentors in that world and, and to provide them with advice to their most pressing challenges and uh, made a company out of it. We scaled and we grew. We became a full-size advertising and communications agency as a result. But one of the things that experience taught me or gave me was access to really influential and powerful leaders throughout my entire career. And one of the things that I realized is that when there are three types of leaders, I mean, there are leaders who think about getting things done, and, and I've worked with those. There are <laughs> leaders who get things done for the sake of getting things done. Like we, I, I've been asked to do this and I said I would do it. I'm going to get it done. And then there are leaders who get things done because they know that it could change things, that it can change their environment, it could change their situation, it could change the world. 
And I noticed that the higher in influence all the leaders I worked with, they thought about execution and leadership with a certain sense of urgency because they knew the consequences of failure. And so our conver- my conversations with those leaders uh, will oftentimes talk about legacy. They will often talk about why failure isn't an option. And then when talking about the barriers for those leaders to succeeding, this concept of leadership sabotage kept coming up over and over again. People defying them, corporate abuse, people wanting to exact revenge on them, reputation assassination, credibility assassination. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Theft, even disingenuous promotions. Uh, Those happen, believe it or not. I had a CEO one time tell me, if you want to get rid of an employee, the best way to do it is to give them a promotion. Uh, and you know, just to give them enough rope to hang themselves and <laughs> there's signs and there's signs that you can point to. And I, and I've been put in a position to help leaders at all levels point to those, identify those signs and those barriers and those saboteurs before they strike them so that they can continue to lead effectively and do transformative work. Well, and so all right, let's talk about that a little bit. So there's always signs. Some people are better at catching them than others. But when it comes to being in an environment where there is that leadership sabotage or may, may give birth to that, what are some of those early warning signs that leaders should be paying attention to? There are many. Uh, but, but I want to correct something that you just said that that many leaders, you know, some leaders are better at, than, at seeing the signs than, than others. I will dare say to you, few leaders are good at being <laughs> All right, we're going to just bring the truth. We'll just Very bring the truth from now on. All right. <laughs> and, that's why, and that's why sabotage is able to persist because it, you know, those who agents of sabotage or saboteurs, uh, if you want to call them that, are banking on the fact that, that you don't know the signs, that you don't know what they're up to. And that's why it persists. I mean, there's data that shows at least in my experiences, one out of every three leaders that I speak with have faced leadership sabotage. One in every three. And even few of that, probably one of every three, uh, have the skills needed to to overcome them. And some just sheer luck, some by instinct. But I wrote a book called Sabotage Leadership That Overcomes Betrayal, Theft, and Deceit because I realized that there was a leadership gap. There was a discipline gap that exists. A lot of books. You can go to the bookstore right now. You can walk up and down the aisles and you can find all kinds of powerful leadership books, powerful business books, powerful executive management books. And they talk about rising early. They talk about working hard. They talk about all of those things. But I think they there's not enough content, if any. Uh, there's very few, if any, that prepares that leader who rises early, has vision and wants to work hard to prepare for the spook behind the door waiting to trip them up as they come in (laughs) at seven o'clock in the morning. And there's certain signs that that you can look for. My book calls them the four horsemen of sabotage. And in my research and even in my own experiences of being sabotaged, all acts of sabotage, whether they be an act of betrayal, an act of theft or an act of deceit, fall into one of four categories. And I call each of those categories, you know, a horseman of sabotage. And the four horsemen of sabotage are things to, that leaders can look to to see the early signs. And they are jealousy. Whenever you encounter somebody who has a penchant for 
demeaning the gains of others or diminishing the gains of others verbally. And it may not be to you. Then you know that you're dealing with someone who has a penchant for being for being jealous. And so whenever you see that horseman ride into your life, there are things that you can do to fortify your pursuits and your leadership and your life from the acts that are acts of sabotage that are driven or motivated or fueled, if you will, by jealousy. The other horseman is arrogance. We see these leaders. We see these folks all the time. All the time. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, arrogance needs no introduction. (laughs) It introduces itself. Um, But, you know, arrogant, arrogant folks, arrogance is a horse, is a horseman. And it rides into our lives and it does certain things. It's different. It does different things than jealousy. Arrogance does other, it undertakes other types of sabotage in our lives. The other one is lying. Liars, the people who will have a, have a high penchant for lying. And lying, and all of these have levels. Lying has levels as well. There, there's, there are people who lie for the sake of, of distraction, to get attention off of them, to, to say, hey, look over there. And then there's another level of lying, which is lying to harm others where you literally throw other people under the bus, swing yeah. uh, a, a reckless disregard for the harm that you might do just so that you can satisfy your selfish intent. And then the last horseman is seduction. And whenever you see the seducers come in our lives, and I'm not talking romantic seduction, even people who are, and it's all, compl- most of it's platonic. They have well-manicured personifications, well-manicured reputations, and they are always dressed to the T, to the dime, to the nine. <laughs> they speak very ambitiously about things. And, and we do that, too, as leaders every day. But what makes it jump into the level of seduction is that they utilize that appearance and that crafted, those crafted environment that they wrap themselves around to encourage you to go along often unethical rides. They really don't care if the means justify the end and they find great pleasure, not on the journey, but getting you to go to join them in the journey. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we can do this. We can get away with it. It's going to be fun. (laughs) It's going to be fine. Just jump on. It'll be fine. And when when you break it down in that way, even your guests, I'm sure, are starting to think about, yeah, you know, there are people in my midst who exhibit some of those behaviors. And being able to think about where you are and think about your leadership is, is not a matter of, in that way, it's not a matter of paranoia, it's a matter of wisdom. Because the more potent you become as a leader, the more consequential your leadership becomes. What I mean by that is you are literally the driving force to provide better education to underserved communities, to feed kids who might be dealing with food insecurities, to take a corporation to places that has never been in order to keep the industry relevant for technological changes. I mean, and these are real things. And so by letting any of those horsemen stop you, you are literally letting saboteurs Rob those children, rob those customers, rob those whoever you're out to impact from the benefits of your effective leadership. 
I love it. I love it. And that actually leads into a, into a great segue. You're one of the few people that when we've prepped some of the material that I got in advance, talked about legacy, talked about shaping a legacy. And I think oftentimes, especially in, in corporate America today, everybody's looking at the next quarter, the next quarter, the next quarter. They're not thinking about the true impact of that word, of the, of the things they're doing now and what that may mean for the future. Some might even argue we're seeing that with climate change, but that's a different podcast. So when we, when we talk about shaping that legacy, what does that mean in terms of changing the way a leader approaches leadership and or the behaviors or actions that they should be putting into play? A phenomenal question, because uh, at the foundation of leadership is is legacy, uh, and we don't. I don't. I don't think we start thinking about legacy soon enough. I, I just don't. There was a a leader that helped me really put this into words. Her, her name is Carolyn Johnson. She shared it with one of my mentors. He shared it with me. Is that if we had to define what legacy is, it's is setting in motion a series of activities that causes irreversible impact. And I never really thought about it that way. And often when you're thinking about the next quarter, the next quarter, the next quarter, the next sale, the next sale, the next sale, you're literally placing the energy that powers your leadership into the power of a transaction. But there's so much more you're leaving on the table. Like there's so much more for people who, who sell, which is all of us, who are salespeople, I mean, I, I think that thinking about the things you're selling as a legacy-defining exercise allows you to, to do more than just transact money for a widget. But you literally are able to tie that thing you're selling to the way that it will change lives and communities. And that's a whole other value proposition and a whole different discourse to have with prospects. And we don't have that conversation enough. Even if you are a middle manager or an early an entry level employee, if you can get your leaders, even if you're at that level, to articulate to you why the things that they're asking you to do are so incredibly important, then what you do is you're forcing them to align all of their thinking around legacy or irreversible impact activities. And I think I don't think we do that enough. And, and as sort of a practical example, there is a leader, I'll give you two, there is a leader by the name of Bayard Rushton. You may or may not have heard of that leader. Bayard Rushton an incredible, probably one of the world's most potent community organizers. This leader saw a need to assemble a massive amount of people in the mall in D.C. And he went and said, hey, we're going to have the largest protest in the 60s in the mall in Washington, D.C., And we're going to assemble all of those people to make sure that our voices are heard with regard to taking on Jim Crow laws and promoting integration. He said this to another leader who is A. Philip Randolph. A. Philip Randolph was an executive leader, an executive letter level leader, an established leader. He said to Bayard, or he, he spoke about what Bayard Rushton was after in a different way. 
He said, no, we're not going to we're not just merely getting millions of people to go to the mall in Washington. We are using the mall in Washington as the world's biggest stage to make sure that we have the loudest megaphone to speak to congressional leaders about the need to make a difference in the world by making America the model for integration the world over. Those are very two different things. So if you apply that in a practical sense, then you start to understand like that as a prospect, I'm listening to a Philip Randolph thinking, how can I join? (laughs) (laughs) What do I need to do? And you show up and you hear the, I have a dream speech, but there, those are two different leaders after the same thing. One is really focused on legacy and they speak about it in different ways. Another example is, is Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs it was literally just building a computer, but to him, he was doing so much more. And there's a, a great story, it's well-documented. John Scully from PepsiCo, who's a transactional leader. I mean, you, you sell, sell soda, you get money. You sell soda, you get money. <laughs> <laughs> and I like Pepsi, I like all of you. But you sell soda, you get money. Steve Jobs thought it was something nobler, so much something much more noble to pursue in what he was selling. So they were at odds, which led to John Scully essentially sabotaging Steve Jobs. If if Steve Jobs didn't have the critical skills that we're talking about now for overcoming sabotage or for protecting his leadership pursuits and his life from sabotage, we may never see the iPhone. We may never have the MacBook Pro that we have today. And the vision he saw, he aligned his activities with providing each of us, the ordinary person, with the tools necessary to change the way that we engage with the world and how the world engages with us. I love so think, it. I love like, it. Think about it as a salesperson, if you go into a meeting and say that this device is going to fundamentally change the way you engage with the world. You got to sell. First sentence. <laughs> I want one, <laughs> which a lot of people said, right? A lot of yeah, people said that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply as a chairman, president, CEO, and author, that makes you a prospect for a lot of people out there. A lot of people want to get time on your calendar. And when you don't have a trusted referral in, somebody that you know says, hey, you should really talk to this person. I think they can add value. When you don't have that, what works for you when somebody's trying to capture your attention and earn the right to time on your calendar? I get a lot of pings from folks. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, it sets those who are most effective apart from, from the rest are those who call me and they express care and concern for me. They've understood our business. They understand a little bit about me and they don't, it's not about the phone call is not about the product more so than it is about learning more about, about me and my journey, what interests and drives me. And I am like many executives, and I will go on record and say many executives are open to 
entertaining and investing time into into the intellectually curious. And that's why we have all these administrative assistants, because if you if you get to us, we're going to be quite generous with their time. If you show a curiosity, a care and a concern for for how we are doing what we are achieving and what we desire to do beyond the present. I love it. That is, that is great. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If you could give one piece of advice, just one to sales, marketing and professional services, people, one piece of advice that if they listened, you believe would help them hit their targets or exceed them. What would that one piece of advice be and why? Oh, top of my head. Easy. Use your time not to sell products, but instead use your time to purchase relationships. <laughs> That's going to be one of the quotes they're going to pull out, brother. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> I know our marketing team is going to pull that out. That okay. is very well said. Very, yeah. very well said. Yeah. Uh, all right, Brandon, if you, uh, if somebody wants to find the book, where's the best place for us to send them to find that sabotage book? BrandonWilson.co. Again, that's BrandonWilson.co. And you can go there, you can get the book. And I hope it's a blessing to each and every one of you as you strive to become more effective leaders. Also at BrandonWilson.co, you can reserve 15 minutes on my schedule and tap into other leadership insights. If there are some challenges or some questions or some things going on around you that you just don't know how to navigate through, go to BrandonWilson.co, get time on my schedule. And I am one of those leaders, again, who's generous about um, those who, who want to unlock more. And so go to BrandonWilson.co to buy the book and to gain access to me. Uh, I love it, Brandon. I can't thank you enough for taking time. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. It's been my pleasure. All my pleasure. All right, everybody. That does it for this episode. You know the drill. Check it out at b2brevexec.com. Share it with friends, family, coworkers. Leave us a review if you like what you hear. And until next time, we have Value Selling Associates, which you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.